Hey, before we jump in this morning, I, we just need to celebrate something. Uh, last week after the services, uh, we saw 17 kids get sponsored uh, in Ukro, Ethiopia by you guys. Uh, just the generosity that you guys meant, which is just incredible. Yeah, incredible. Uh, I wonder, I just want to begin with a question this morning. How many of you can actually remember by name the, the name of the person who first invited you to come to church? How many of you remember the name of the actual person who first in, made an invitation for you to come to church. For some of you, you're like, yeah, I remember their names because they were my parents. Of course, I, I know who they were. Uh, and if that's your story, maybe you grew up in a Christian home and your parents uh, brought you to church. But even for those of you who grew up in a Christian home and you grew up coming to church and experiencing that, I bet for some of you in this room, there, there, there was probably like a season in your life where maybe you stepped away from the church. Maybe th you went through a time where Things just didn't make sense. You experienced things. Maybe you questioned God's goodness. You, maybe you questioned who he really was or, or if he was who he said he was. And you took a step back from faith. You, you took a step back from church. And what I believe is if you're in this room this morning, at some point, somebody probably stepped into that space in your life and just made an invitation and invited you to come to church, invited you to trust in God again. Uh, and I bet you can remember their name. For me, the name of that person is Dennis Austin, uh, or Mr. Austin is the way I refer to him. In fact, when I see him today, I still, it's hard for me not to call him anything other than Mr. Austin. He was the principal of my middle school that I went to. When I was 12 years old, my parents moved us from Indianapolis, Indiana, to this little podunk town in northern Indiana called Marion. And the reason they made this move is because uh, for, for them it was, hey, if we make this move, pick up and move our family, maybe we can have a chance to save our marriage. Maybe uh, for them it was like, hey, maybe this will be a fresh start. It wasn't just a new career, a new job. For them it was like, maybe this will be a chance to start over and do some things better or different in our lives than we've been doing. We were in a desperate place as a family. And so what happened was uh, we moved in the middle of the school year, and so my mom was dropping each one of us, uh, uh, my sister and my brother and I, off at school. And she finished up, she dropped me off at school um, in the middle of the day, the first, first day of school for me in this new school, this middle school. And she turned around and walked out, and she was walking down the hallway. As she was heading out the door to the parking lot, she just burst into tears. Because things were hard. And... Things at home were hard, and she's in this new town, and she doesn't know anybody, and she just dropped off her, her kid, and she's worried about her kids, and so she just bursts into tears. And Mr. Austin saw her, and he intercepted her as she was walking out the door to head to the parking lot, and standing right there by the door as she was heading to the parking lot, he just began to talk to my mom, and he began to just assure her about the school and about everything. And then at some point in the conversation, he said something like, Hey, I know you guys are new here in this community. Uh, I'd love, what do you think about your family coming and joining my family at church sometime? I'd love to just invite you to come with my family to church. That's what he said. Just that simple. You know, you're new in the community. If nothing else, you'll meet some people in the community and know some other people. I'd love if you just join my family at church. I, I didn't understand it then, but I can look back and I can see now that that simple invitation changed the trajectory of my life. Absolutely changed my life. We didn't go to church with him that next weekend. 
I don't know how long it was or how many, but eventually we did go to church. And here's what I remember about that. I remember pulling into the parking lot of this church and I'm a middle schooler. I'm like, man, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be at church. And I remember we got there to the church, we got out and my middle school principal, Mr. Austin and his wife are standing there waiting to greet us. They knew we were coming. They met us at the door. They walked in with us. They introduced us to people in the church. They sat with us. And so we sat with them in church. And then week after week after week, we, we came back and we would sit there. I would sit with my middle school principal in church. And we were so messed up. Man, our family, we were so jacked up. I mean, I wondered what he was thinking. I wondered what was going through his head as he's sitting there like with my family. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen on Monday? You know, just from, from even things that would be said and everything. But little by little by little, things began to change. And so you fast forward two years from that kind of moment and two years later, I had come to know Jesus. I had gotten baptized in that church. Christ had become the center of my parents' marriage, and things began to change in their marriage. Things began to change in their family, in, 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 our, in our family, and the dynamics just changed. In fact, I was just a few weeks ago, I was at a funeral, uh, and, and I was with some friends who we all grew up in that church together. We were all teenagers about the same time, and we were, we were together at this funeral, and uh, I was sharing what I just shared with you, just how I came to the church for the first time. And they were like, are you kidding me? We thought your family always came from that church. We thought you grew up in that church. They had no idea. And I was like, no, man, we were broken. Like we came in from the outside and, and they were just blown away because of the transformation that happened in my family in such a short period of time. That simple invitation, hey, what do you think? Maybe your family could come with my family one, one day to church. Absolutely changed my life. And that's why I am so passionate about what we're talking about today. We're in the series right now called The Table. We've been looking at our vision as a church, these five zeros. And uh, we've been looking at Luke chapter 14 and just looking at the zeros through that lens uh, of this par these parables that Jesus tells. And the zero that we're looking at today is uh, zero lost people. Where we're talking about what it means that we are not done as a church. We're not finished until there are zero lost people. There's zero people living outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, living outside of the gospel message, knowing who Jesus is. We're not done until there are zero lost people. That, that's the zero we're talking about uh, this morning. And for me, this one is personal. It's personal because I was one of those lost people. Sorry. This one is hard. For, I don't know why this has been such an emotional morning for me. I think it's because that was my family. That was us, and we desperately needed that invitation. We didn't realize it at the time, but we so desperately needed it. And it intersected our story in our lives at just the right time. You don't know that there might be somebody in your world who God wants to use you to intersect in just the same way, in a way that an invitation would change their lives. And so we're gonna look at that this morning. If you were here last week, we looked at this parable in Luke chapter 14. Uh, it's a story that Jesus tells. Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee. They're at a, at a table eating a large meal together. It's a very public kind of space, and they're eating this meal. And Jesus tells this parable in the middle of this feast. And it's a story about this. It's called the parable of the great banquet. And what Jesus is referring to at this great banquet is this eternal feast. It's a picture of heaven. It's, it's from Isaiah 25, this picture of the kingdom of God, of what heaven is going to be like uh, when Jesus is going to return one day and he's going to rule and reign. 
And so this is the picture of what heaven is going to be like. And Jesus just begins to tell this story. Last week, if you are here, we looked at this series of guests that are invited to come uh, to this banquet. And today what I want to look at is I want to look at the invitation itself. Same story. But the different lens we're going to look at, we're going to look at it through, it, look at it through, this, through the lens of the invitation and the one who is doing the inviting. So let's jump in. Uh, this is Luke 14. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, there are these shelves all around the room uh, with paper Bibles in them. Uh, you can grab those, not just for a service. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that home with you. Uh, that's, that's why they're there. Um, but this passage will be on the screen. Begins this way. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus... Blessed are those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so what this guy is doing is he's referencing Isaiah 25, this feast in the kingdom of God, and he's asking Jesus to comment. He's saying, Jesus, who do you think is going to be in heaven someday? Who do you think is going to be at this great feast in the kingdom of God? That's what he's asking. And so Jesus replied, and this is the story he tells, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. There's still room in your house. There's still room at the table. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. That's the story Jesus tells about this picture of heaven. And so, and so the question I want to ask as it relates to the lens that we're looking at this story from this morning, is I just want to ask the simple question, who is the servant? We didn't talk about that last week. I want to talk about that this week as it relates to this idea of zero lost people, this part of our vision. Who is the servant in the story, right? There's this host who creates this great banquet. He prepares at his own expense all this food. We talked about last week, that's, that's the gospel, that what was prepared, the table, the banquet that was prepared, was prepared for us at Jesus' expense, his death on the cross and his resurrection that, and that bought new life for us. But then there's this other character, this servant that's going out and inviting this series of guests to come to the banquet so that the house is full. So who is the servant? Well, scholars are actually kind of divided on who they think this is. There are some scholars who say, well, what Jesus is referring to here, he was re referring to John the Baptist. So if you're familiar with the Gospels, John the Baptist came preparing the way for Jesus and he went out in the wilderness, he baptized people and he called them to repent of their sins. So this servant, it was supposed to be John the Baptist. Other scholars say, disagree and say, no, that's not it. Jesus is actually referring to himself here in this passage, that the servant who went out to invite, that was Jesus and the invitation he's making is the gospel, this message that we, we have to put our trust and our faith in the person of Jesus. It's not by our own effort. It's not by our own work to try to fix ourselves and make our lives better. It's only by putting our trust and faith in Jesus. That's the invitation. And Jesus was the servant. 
There's another version of this story in Matthew's gospel. There are four gospel accounts. And in the story, the version of the story that Matthew tells, there are multiple servants that are sent out. So when it gets to the part of the story, it says the servants, plural, go out and do the inviting to the banquet. And so some people have said, well, that's us. That's the disciples. That's the church. We're the servants. We're the ones who are going out and inviting people to come and experience the great banquet, experience, you know, this feast that God has prepared for us. You know who I think is right? I have no idea. How's it? Amen. All right. How's that for a professional answer right there? You know what? You know what's funny? What's amazing to me about Jesus' parables is when you look at them, all three of those things could be true. And maybe they are true in different ways. There are so many different layers of truth in the parables that Jesus told and the way that the Spirit uses them to speak into our lives and even different eras of the church over history. But, but I would say this, I think when I look at the era we're in right now, this is the era of the church where the church is preaching the gospel to the world. The world is hearing about the gospel through us, through the church, God's people. I would say I think that we're supposed to read that story and we're supposed to see ourselves in the servant, that the servant is us. We are the church and we're the ones who are going out and inviting people to the great banquet. That's our job. That's, that's who we are. The word invite, when you find it here in the passage, uh, the, the word is actually kaleo is, is what it is in the original Greek, and it means to call aloud, to utter in a loud voice. Okay, so, so picture someone like shouting, like raising their, their voice and shouting, uttering a loud voice this message. I actually, uh, two days ago, I was so sick. I've been so sick this past week, I lost my voice. Uh, I could barely speak about <laughs> a whisper. And... Um, if I had a normal job, this is probably one of those days I, I would have and should have called in sick. But I was like, man, I, I got, this one for me is so uh, personal and so real. Man, I was like, I know, I know I need to be here. I just need to go for it. And so that's what it is to call, to shout aloud. That's what the word kaleo means. The, the, the servant goes out and with a loud voice is inviting others. Um, now, some of you, I, I bet you most of you in this room, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard the quote, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words, right? Have you heard that? Anybody in this room heard that? A few of you have heard that? That's like a famous quote. We're not even sure who said it first. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And actually, I would agree with that. I would say that's a great thing. I think we should be preaching the gospel at all times with our lives, with the way we live, that people should be watching us and kind of going, wow, I think there's something different about that person. They, they begin to know who Jesus is because, because of the way we're living our lives. But just to be really, really clear about what we're talking about here, what Jesus is saying here in this passage, he's talking about using words. He's talking about actually opening your mouth and actual words coming out. That's what he's saying. The servant is going out and kaleo, in a loud voice. That's what's happening here. It's, it's a person sharing their faith outwardly and verbally, which is where it starts to get dicey, right? Especially today, especially in the culture we live in today. This is where it just begins to get uh, difficult because when we think about what it means to open our mouths and share our faith with other people and we think to ourselves, man, I, I don't want to be that weirdo at work, right, that's like talking about my faith and people are like, oh, man. Or, or I don't want to be like at Thanksgiving dinner and get into some giant political fight with my family members, right, because I'm sharing my faith or what I believe and then it becomes all weird and tangled and all this political stuff. 
Or, or maybe the way you're, you're viewing it is maybe there's a person you're seeing in your life and you, you're seeing what's happening in your life. You're seeing things go downhill for them. You're seeing the brokenness and the hurt. Maybe you're seeing them running out the door, down the hallway, out the door to go out in the parking lot with tears streaming down their face. And you see them and you want something for them. Maybe you genuinely want something to, to change in their lives. You want them to experience what you've experienced if you know Jesus. But there's this part of you that's like, man, I don't want, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to, you know, suggest that there's something missing in their life and, you know, and so what we do is we just, we keep our mouths shut and we don't say anything. And I think the reason that we keep our mouths shut and we don't open our mouths and share our faith is because we completely misunderstand what the servant is actually supposed to be doing in this passage of scripture. I think we completely miss what the servant is actually doing. The servant isn't opening their mouth to try to tell somebody to do something, right? In this passage, Jesus doesn't say, oh, there was this master, he made this great banquet, and so he sent his servant out to feed people. His servant was supposed to go out and fix people and help them and take the food out. No, the, the servant in the story is only supposed to go out and say, hey, uh, I, I know about this thing. There's this food. There's this banquet over here. It's like one beggar telling another beggar where they found food. That's what's happening, Legalism is telling people what to do. The gospel is an invitation for people to become who they really are in Christ. So two very different things. I'm going to say that again. Legalism is just telling people what they should be doing. That was what the Pharisees were about. That was their basic message. Their basic message was try harder to be good. Try harder to do the right things. They believed that God was going to bless Israel if only God's people would just clean up their lives, start following the law, clean up all the sin and all their impurity. And so they looked at their basic message was try harder to be good. Try harder to clean up your life. And when we get to the great banquet in heaven, the ones who are going to be in heaven are the ones who managed to do it. We managed to clean up ourselves. We managed to try harder and be good enough to get there. That was their message. That's the message of legalism. It's not the gospel. Legalism just tells you that you should be better. It just tells you what you should be doing. The gospel is just an invitation to become who you really truly are, a son a daughter of the most high God, not because of any merit of your own or any effort of your own, because of what Jesus did on your behalf. And so our job is simply to go out and invite people. It's not to fix people. Your job as a Christian is not to fix anybody's problems. In fact, you can't. You can't fix anybody's problems. If you try to fix people's problems, it's not going to work. Things are not going to get better. But if you simply invite people to put their trust and their faith in the one who can solve their problems, everything changes. And it might just very well be that that invitation, you say, I don't know how to fix your problems, but I know the one who can. What do you say? Will you come with me? That invitation might just intersect someone's life and be the moment that changes their life for all of eternity. That's what the servant's invited to do. I, I'm a pastor. For many years, I, I operated with this idea that my job was to fix everybody's problems. You know what happens when you look at people like that? You, what happens is you start to look at everybody and you go to, man, there's a lot of problems to solve. You start looking at people as if there are problems to solve. There are tons of problems to solve in this room. Amen? <laughs> right? 
And what happens is then if there's this burden that gets put on you and you start to feel like, oh man, I've got to solve it. I've got to fix everybody's problem. That's what I am. I'm a pastor. I'm here to have the answers. I'm here to solve everyone's problems. And so people come to me and then I try to fix things and solve their problems. And when you do that, it just leads to absolute burnout, absolute exhaustion and total failure. So my name's Brian. I'm your pastor. I can't fix you. I'm sorry if that was what you were hoping for. Uh, if, I, if I haven't had the chance to personally meet you and disappoint you yet, I promise I will get around to each and every one of you eventually. <laughs> I can't fix you. I can't even fix myself. I can't even fix my own issues, my own stuff I deal with. But I know the one who can. And my job is just to invite you like a beggar inviting another beggar where they found the food. Hey, can we, maybe you could just come with me. I think there's something over here. And Jesus is the food. He is the banquet. He, at his own expense at the cross and, and his death and his resurrection on our behalf, it's him that intersects our life and that actually begins to save us and change us. People are not problems to be solved. If you focus on the problems that need to be solved, when you look at a person, you're going to get nowhere. But when you begin to invite people to focus on the person of Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. And that's what we desperately need in our world. So, that, so that's it. I hope that's like a lift to you. I hope that sort of lifts kind of the pressure and the burden off you. Your job isn't to fix people. Your job isn't to go out there and save people. You can't. Your job is just to go out and make an invitation because you know the one who can. So what I think is I believe that sharing our faith happens best in the form of invitations. <coughs> Here's what I believe. I believe people are watching church from a distance. And they see their friends and family going to church. They even drive by the church on Plainfield Avenue on their way to work and, and everything every morning. And they wonder about the church. They wonder about what's going on in there. They, they read the Facebook posts and the social media posts. But they stay away. They keep their distance because they don't think it's for them. And if you talk to people long enough and you dig into where they're at in life, the reason they don't think it's for them is, you know, stuff like they just got a divorce and so they feel like they wouldn't be welcome. Or, or they, they had an abortion at one point in life and so they just assume God hates them. By the way, he doesn't, if that's you. Or maybe they have an addiction and it's like, man, I don't want to go to church and have that exposed and have people talking about that with me and dealing with that. And so they just keep their distance. Can billboards work to invite people to church? Can putting a giant sign on the outside of your building when you have special events work to get people in the church? Sure, we've, we've done stuff like that. Can put, you know, posting something on social media accounts, can that do something when people see it to invite them to church? Sure, that can work. But, but honestly, if you think about it, when was the last time you heard somebody say, oh man, that paid advertisement on Instagram totally got me to church. <laughs> like, man, I was scrolling and just stopped. It was like a lightning bolt. I just, I had to go because I saw that. I mean, honestly, I, I've never heard that. I've never heard anybody say anything like that. The chances are the reason that, that somebody comes to church is because there was a servant who went out and just simply made an invitation. Hey, like a beggar telling another beggar where they found, I know where the food is. I don't know if this is, I know, I see what's going on in your life. I see how desperate things are. I think I found something. What do you say? You want to come, come with me? 
Taste and see, the scriptures say, that the Lord is good. It's an invitation. That's all it is. My guess is that there are many people in your life, if you invited them, if you let them know that they were accepted, if, if you let them know that it was safe to be real in a place like this and that, and that you had found God and you invited them to be with you, they would be with you next weekend here at church. I think there are many people like that in your life and in mine that are in that category. I love what Henry Nouwen said. He's a famous theologian and writer from last century. He said, the church is not an institution forcing us to follow its rules. It is a community of people inviting us to still our hunger and thirst at its tables. I love that. The church is not an institution forcing us to follow its rules. That's legalism. That's what the Pharisees were about. It's a community of people inviting us to still our hunger and thirst at its tables. It's, it's inviting people to come and experience who God is. Another question I think this passage invites us to, to ask is this question. If you go ahead to that next one, how many invitations does it take? Right, like oh, maybe you're in a place where like, yeah, I've invited that person before, but they, did, they you know, they said they think about it and then they never talked about it again and I never saw them again. And, and maybe you've invited and you've invited. And, and so the question is, how many invitations does it actually take for somebody to say yes? And I don't know if you picked up on this. When you look at this passage of scripture, you may have missed this, but there are actually two invitations that happen in this story that Jesus told. And we miss it because we don't understand something about the way that the banquets worked in the first century in Jesus' uh, story that he tells. <clears throat> and if we don't catch this detail, we miss a huge point. So there's a gap between verse 16 when the host invites, right? The host prepares this banquet. And essentially in the ancient world, what you would do is if you were a wealthy person preparing a banquet, you would send out like a, like a save the date. And people would RSVP to that and would say, yes, I'm going to come. I will come to your banquet. But the, the time of the banquet was not always exact. It was kind of like, okay, I need to get an idea how many people, and then I go and prepare the food. And so they would send out this initial invitation, see what kind of RSVPs they got. And then what a wealthy person would do is when the banquet had been prepared, when it had been ready, they would then send out their servant to go out and actually invite the people who had RSVP'd and say, come now, the banquet is ready. The banquet is ready now. So that's what's happening in this passage. Verse 16 is the initial invitation from the host. Hey, go invite those to my banquet. And verse 17 is the second invitation. There are two invitations. And the second invitation is, is the servant saying the banquet's ready. The reason Jesus said this is because Israel had had two invitations to the banquet. The first invitation was through the law and the prophets. What we refer to as the Old Testament. They had been invited to be God's covenant people. And they had said yes to that invitation. But when the Son of God, when Jesus came and he began to preach, the kingdom of God is now at hand. And in other words, the banquet is ready. They said no. They were that first category of guests who all had excuses. They said no when that second invitation came through the person of Jesus. And what's so powerful to me about this, when I, when I look at this passage, when I read this, is I, I realize that we get two invitations as well. Jesus is speaking directly into our lives. Every single one of us in this room, we get two invitations to the banquet as well. The first one is from the Spirit of God. The second one is often in, in a verbal form from a person. It's a physical form. There's a first invitation from the Spirit of God. The second one is usually in human form. The fancy theological word for this in our Wesleyan theology is the term provenient grace. 
For, for those of you who like uh, big fancy words, provenient grace, you can go study that one. Provenient grace is basically this idea that God is always drawing a person toward him, even before they know who Jesus is, even before they've confessed their sin, before they've repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus. God is at work in their lives. He's drawing them to himself. He's, he's inviting people and wooing them toward himself. Jesus, in uh, John chapter 6, verse 44, he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. He's talking about that first invitation, that provenient grace. And in other words, all around you, and I bet in your story you'd say this too, God is speaking to people. And sometimes it's just through some circumstance that'll happen in their life, and they'll just be like, man, I can't figure out, like, was that a coincidence? that this happened and then I heard this and then this person said this to me. Other times it's through a, a period of suffering. People will go through a time of suffering where things are, are, are hard and painful and they'll begin to question, man, is this all there is? Is, is? is it just you go through all this stuff in life and then you die? Is that really all there is and that's the only hope we have? And they, and they begin to question and they begin to, to try to seek and try to understand if there's anything more. That's that first invitation and, but then the second invitation, when we step up and we open our mouths and we invite people, we become the second human invitation. And again, that's all our job is to do. Our job isn't to fix people. It's not to be the one that, that draws them and makes them want God. <laughs> he's already at work doing that. And, and the reason he's at work in people's lives and the reason he draws us to himself is because he loves us. He loves us. He looks at us in the middle of our sin and our brokenness and he sees who we truly are. We are a dearly loved son. We are a dearly loved daughter. And he sees that through the lens of who Jesus is and he wants us. You know, no matter how broken and messed up your life is, he wants you. He sees you in that. And he, you are here this morning not by accident. He is drawing you to himself. That's what he's doing. And so when we open our mouths and we invite, we just become the second invitation. It's not our job to fix it. It's not our job. To, it's just, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where we happen to find food. And I, just, I see what's going on in your life. I wonder if, if it had helped. I wonder if, if you'd be willing to just come with me, come to church with me. I wonder if you'd be, be willing to listen. And, and that's all we're called to do. When I was in high school, I had a friend uh, let's call him Paul. His name's John, but I don't want to tell you what his real name is. So let's just call him Paul. <laughs> um, and uh, Paul and I, we were, we were good buddies in high school. We lifted weights together. Uh, he was this big, huge guy. We were in sports together. And um, I used to, as, as my life began getting transformed in my later years in high school, I, I began inviting Paul to church with me. And I would just say, man, come to church with me this week. What do you think? Come to, and I would just make this invitation. And, and he actually did come with me to church one time. But he, it was kind of a joke to him. He always, in fact, he would call me preacher. And this was before I was preaching, okay? So this wasn't a compliment. He was like, he would call me preacher and he would, it was always this joke like, yeah, man, like you're always about church and you're all, all and I'd say, man, you, you don't know. Like, you gotta come, you gotta experience this. You gotta come to church with me. Uh, we graduated 18 years old, both of us, um, same graduating class. And two years went by. I didn't talk to this guy. I didn't hear from him. I didn't see him. And I'm 20 years old in my dorm room in college. I get this phone call from Paul. 
This guy I haven't even thought about or talked to in years. And what he did is he, he remembered my parents' number and he called my parents and he ended up getting my number and he called me and he just said, hey, uh, can we get together and talk? It's like eight o'clock at night on like a Tuesday night or something, middle of the week. And something in me, you know, you have these moments where the spirit just prompts, something in me just kind of went, man, there's no reason why I would want to say yes to this, but something in me was like, I need to say yes to this. I, I need to just go. And so I remember going to where he lived at that time, uh, and we, I remember us standing outside in his driveway. It's like 10 o'clock at night, so we could have like a private conversation with other people in the house. We're just standing out in the driveway. And, if, and I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, what, what is this? I haven't even talked to this guy in two years. And at first it was like the small talk, like, oh, yeah, man, you know, what's going on? And, and, but then as the conversation went on, he began to just unload. He had graduated from high school and things had not gone the way he imagined them would go. Just one disappointment, one letdown after another. And then uh, his sister had been killed in a motorcycle accident unexpectedly. It just wrecked his whole family and things were just a mess. And I'll never forget, I, me I remember him saying, man, I drive down the road and every single day I'm driving down the road and I just have, I have these thoughts, like I just want to take the wheel and just turn it straight into that tree and just kill myself. I just want to be done. I vividly remember him saying that. I'm, I'm still, I'm just sitting there like, man, what am I here for? What is this about? And then he says to me, he says, I called you because I remember in high school, you were, you had this hope. You were always inviting me to church. He said, like, you, you had something I didn't have. That was his actual words. You, did, you had something I didn't have. And so I got to stand there in this, his driveway and just tell him about who Jesus is. And that didn't happen because of something amazing about me because some amazing thing that happened to me. It, it happened because he was right at that moment, that provenient grace, God had been drawing him. When we were in high school, the timing wasn't right. It wasn't the right moment. But at this moment in his life, he'd gone through this point and God was drawing him. God was speaking to him and God put me on his mind. That's why that happened. So standing there in his driveway, I got to just say, man, I don't have the answers. I can't fix you, but let me tell you, I can tell you what that hope was. I still have it. This is what, and I just began to tell him about my family. I began to tell him about what Jesus did in my family and tears just began to stream down his face. Our job is just to stand and make the invitation, the second invitation. It's not our job to fix people. It's not our job to solve their problems. You can't. Our job is just to stand in the gap and make an invite. That's it. That's it. One beggar telling another beggar where they found food. I want to talk to two different groups of people here this morning. I thought about how to close this. It's still even first service. I wasn't sure if this is the right way to close, but I want to talk to two groups of people. The first group of people I want to talk to in this room, I just want to ask you, have you responded to both invitations? In other words, you're, you're here today and you've, you, you walked into church and you said, okay, you know, I feel guilty about some stuff in my life. So I'm going to try to add a little church to my life. I'm going to go to church and try to, you know, fix it, try to, but try to work harder on my sin. I'm going to try to be better because I feel kind of guilty. So you're showing up, you're, you're, you're coming every once a month or whatever it is. You've said yes to the first invitation, but you're like, man, I don't want to surrender my life to Jesus. I don't want to get baptized. I don't want to do the whole Christian thing. And so you've stood back 
and you're still trying to work on you, and, and you come to church just so it'll help sprinkle a little bit of God into your life to help you get better, I, I want to challenge you today, say yes to the second invitation. Even if you don't understand how, say yes to Jesus. Just say, just acknowledge to him, man, I'm broken. I can't fix myself. The essential message is not try harder, work harder on you. You can't fix yourself. I can't either. I can't fix you. But I know the one who can. And so I just want to challenge you, be all in. Say yes to the second invitation. Fully surrender your life and just say, God, I can't, I can't do this without you. I need you to come in and just be Lord of my life. I need you to show me who you are. I need you to show me who I am in you. And just let him do it. You will be amazed when you, when you do that what he will do in your life. You'll be amazed what he will do in your family when you just surrender full control to him. <laughs> you can't change any, you can't invite anyone else to the table until you've experienced the banquet yourself. And not so nice way of saying it is, are you smoking what you're selling? <laughs> right? Are, are you experiencing it yourself? Are you experiencing the true life that comes from Jesus? Not from yourself, not from your own power. Have you said yes to that second invitation? I want to challenge you to be all in today. The second group of people I want to uh, speak to, uh, I'll just put it in this question. I want, I want to ask you, who is not here? So say like you're in, you're in the amen corner this morning. You're like, yeah, you're all in. You've surrendered your life to Jesus. Christ is at the center of your life. He's at the center of your family and your, your, your career and everything you're doing. You're serving. You're coming to church. You're in a small group. And you're like, amen, amen, yeah, yeah. I want to I challenge you to look around. When I come to church, I see who's here. I tend to focus on who's here. But when God the Father looks at church, he focuses on who's not here. Hear the words of Jesus in that. Hear the words of the master in the parable that Jesus tells to, he, when he speaks to the servant. There is still room in my house. Go out. Invite more. Invite more. There is still room at my house. There's still room at my table. God is speaking by his provenient grace. He is drawing people to himself. And they're wondering who he is. They're wondering if it's safe to come in and be real. They're wondering if there's anything bigger than this life. You don't have to solve their problems. You just have to be the one who says, hey, I see what's happening in your life. I've been there. What do you, what do you think about coming with me? Because I've found something, and it's made a huge difference in my life. And that invitation might intersect somebody and change the course of their life forever. Who's not here? Who is the person? Or maybe a better question to ask is, who have you given up on? Maybe it's somebody you've invited and you've invited and you thought, you oh, know, man, and then they kind of turned you down or they, they just sort of told you, you know, they, they, they were done with all that. Who have you given up on? There's still room in my house. There's still room in my house. We're not done yet. We're not to zero yet. I'll close with this. Uh, I was thinking about Amber Alerts. God kind of spoke to me one day. I, I, I get, you, I'm like you. Uh, every once in a while, my phone will go off. I'll get this alarm, and I'll look down, and it'll say, it'll say Amber Alert. And you guys get these too. And whenever I get one of those Amber Alerts, I try really hard to stop what I'm doing and focus on what's happening there. And, so, and I look up, and it says, you know, silver Toyota, license plate, whatever. And I'll look up, and I'll look around wherever I'm at, and I'll try to see, do I see a silver Toyota, whatever it is. Can, can I engage with this? 
But, but it, it'll interrupt my life just for a second, but very quickly, if I can't see any clear way to help, I just, uh, I just sort of put the phone back down and I just go back to my business. It doesn't really interrupt my day. And the reason for that is because at the end of the day, it's not my kid who's missing, right? I'm not gonna drop everything I'm doing and go searching for somebody else's kid. They're not my responsibility. And I, I just began thinking about that, just my own reaction. And I began to wonder if it was one of my kids that was missing, one of my four boys who I love dearly, and if an Amber Alert went out to all of your phones, you know what I would want you to do? I would want it to wreck you that there was a missing child. I would want it to interrupt your day. I would want you to drop everything you were doing and do everything you could to go find that kid. Don't you think that's how God the Father looks at us, his children, in the midst of our situations, in the midst of our brokenness and our pains. He is drawing us to him. He's speaking to people all around us. He wants to reveal himself to people all around us. So I want to close this way. The gospel is this amber alert to every person in our world who is near to you but is far away from God. So I often close these things with uh, me praying, but this one's personal for me. And uh, I want to close this by making it personal for you. And so instead of me praying here at the end, I want to invite you to pray, every single one of you. And so would you you do this? Would you seriously just bow your heads with me (laughs) for a moment? Instead of me praying, what I believe is in this room right now, the Holy Spirit is stirring and he's speaking to every one of you. There's a person who's coming to your mind. And for some of you in this room, that person is you. It's you. There's an old hymn that says, it's me, oh Lord, it's me standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, it's me. This morning what you're hearing God say is, man, that's, that's me. I'm the one. I haven't said yes to that second invitation. Yeah, I'm, I'm here, I'm kind of showing up, but I'm still trying in my own effort. I'm still trying to fix myself, change my own life. There was a guy, first service, let's tell you this. He came in uh, and somebody introduced him to me and he was literally walking into family farm and home across the, the parking lot. And he said, I, I saw people coming to church. I decided I'd just come here today. And um, at the end of the service, he came up and he, he just said, man, I, I needed this today. He said, here's the thing. I believe that Jesus existed. He goes, but I have no idea who God is. And what I said to him was, you don't know who God is, but he knows who you are. And it's not an accident you were here today. And he began to weep the things that were going on in his life. And he said, I'll see you next week. If you are here today, you are not here by accident. I don't believe in coincidences. Surrender yourself fully to God. Surrender yourself fully to him. The person you need to pray for right now is yourself to just say, God, I'm broken. I'm done trying harder in my own effort. I come to you. 
I'll let you have full control. Be Lord of my life. For others of you in this room, the name that's coming to mind is it's a friend, it's a family member, it's maybe it's somebody you've given up on. And this morning what the Holy Spirit is saying to you is there is still room at my table. There's still room in my house. I want you in the next, I, just, I wanna just create some space in this room for you to pray. Would you just begin to contend with the Father for that person? Would you just begin to align your heart with his heart for them and just begin to call out a prayer for them? by name and just ask God to continue to reveal himself to you, continue to prompt you and show you how to speak into their life, show you how to, how to step in and just be the voice of that invitation. You don't have to fix them. You don't have to solve it. You just have to know the one who does. Just take a few minutes and just do that. And then Corey, whenever you sense, you lead us.